Well, good morning to everyone. Hopefully you're excited to be here to worship this morning. And uh, as I said, we want to keep that spirit of worship. We don't want to lose that all year. Celebration, be enthusiastic, and have a passion for Jesus. Amen? It's amazing how God accomplishes His will in each of our lives, isn't it really? Uh, there's a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes, and let me paraphrase it. It says, the mystery of how God accomplishes His will is, the, is like the, how the, the bones of a baby are formed inside of a mother's womb. That's how God accomplishes His will. We can't explain it, can we? We can't explain it. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 11, he says his paths are beyond tracing out. That We can't trace them. We can't figure them out. But when we get to see a glimpse of God's will being worked out, we say, wow, God, you're an amazing and awesome God, don't we? You're an amazing and awesome. This morning, we're going to start a new series called Consider Your Ways. And I want us to look at the book of Haggai. And uh, the book of Haggai has four prophetic messages. So there will be four messages to this series. Haggai was a prophet. It's the third book, at, uh, third to the last book of the Old Testament. It's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. So if you could find that for me for a moment there. It's positioned good chronologically because the events of Haggai are near the events of the Old Testament uh, chronologically. There's only two books that come after the book of Haggai chronologically. It is a book in Nehemiah and the book of Malachi. But let me give you a little background because it's really important to understand this in order to understand the book and understand the message from the book. So you remember that God gave the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, he gave them some land, right? He gave them some land, and it was a very small piece of land, about the size of the state of New Jersey, the land that God gave them. But, be, but its location is really significant, because the location of this land is the hinge between two continents. As you had, it was really important for travel and for trade that you had to go through Jerusalem. It was really important. That one side of the Jerusalem is the Mediterranean Sea, and the other side is, is the desert. So that little piece of property that God gave to the nation of Israel, somewhat fertile, though there's not been any oil or anything found on it. Not like the nations around it where there's been a lot of oil found in some of those Arab nations, right? So God gave this piece of land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the patriarchs. And then they asked for a king, and they wanted a king. So God gave them a king. And who was God's, the first king he gave them? Saul. So God gave them King Saul, and he didn't work out so well. Then God gave them David. And David was a man after God's own heart. Then David, when he passed his son Solomon reigned, and Solomon reigned, and, and, but then the kingdom was divided after Solomon's reign. And I have a picture of a map up here, if we have that map up here and up here. And right here is Israel, right around here is Israel, okay? So you know that. Also, if everybody has their left hand, you lift up your left hand, you got a map of Israel. Do you know that? You got a map of Israel right there. Out from the thumb is the Mediterranean Sea. At the top of the thumb is Mount Carmel. It's where uh, Elijah had a confrontation with the prophets of Baal, and, and it oversees a great valley. But this kingdom, after Solomon's reign, the kingdom was divided. It was divided into 10 tribes to the north, which was called Israel, and two tribes to the south, which was called Judah. And right in the center here was these people called, was Samaria, was the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were, were Jews who intermarried with the Gentiles. But the Jews to the north and the Jews to the south, they did not like the Samaritans. Nor did the Samaritans like them. They did not like them at all. So the ten tribes to the north uh, was in, in, in idolatry, worshiping other gods and stuff. And God had warned them, but they would not repent. They did not change their ways. So God, the time came where God had the Assyrians, 
the, the Assyrian Empire, come down and take them into captivity. The Assyrians were the world empire at that time. And the Assyrian, if you have your hand, the Assyria will be up here. If you have this map, let me see if I still have this on. Assyria is right up here. So they, they become the world empire of that time. And the capital city of the, of the Assyrian Empire is a city that's known very well through the book of Jonah. What is that city? Nineveh. Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And Nineveh was a very large city. They, they say they estimated the population between 600,000 to a million people at that time. So a very large city. They had big walls. They had wide walls. The walls, they say, were wide enough that you could ride three chariots wide across those walls. It was so wide. Big walls. But the, the northern ten tribes were taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire in 722 B.C. That's the world empire at the time. Well, the southern tribes remained faithful a little bit longer, but they had their problems. They worshiped other gods, and they didn't obey the Sabbath laws. But now at this time, the Assyrian Empire now has fallen to the Babylonian Empire. So the Babylonian Empire is now the world empire. And remember, God told Jeremiah, go to the people and, and tell them they must repent. And if they don't repent of their ways, God was going to bring judgment upon them. He's going to bring dis discipline upon them, and he was going to use Babylon. And the people responded, what? You're going to use Babylon? You're going to use a heathen nation to bring discipline upon us? We're God's people. You can't do that. But God does what he wants to do, right? He does what he wants to do. And he wanted these people to follow him is what he wanted. And finally, because they did not obey, the de deportations began. So in 605 B.C., uh, Daniel was one of those, and they were transported from here, from Jerusalem, over here, all the way over to Babylon. They went that way. And you say, why didn't they go straight across? It seemed like it would be so much quicker because there's a desert right here, and it'd be very hard to go across the desert. So they went this long trip all the way north and had to come back down, which was about a thousand-mile trip they had to take that time. A thousand miles. They didn't have trains. They didn't have planes. They didn't have cars. They didn't have trucks. So a lot of this was on foot and buggies and whatever they had to take to take all their stuff all the way over to there. And so they went there. So the second deportation came in 597 BC, the second deportation. And finally, the destruction of Jerusalem and the conquering of the whole southern kingdom was taken in captivity in 586 BC. Now, this is a real important date to remember because the temple that Solomon built that took 46 years to build was destroyed at that time. And so this was the saddest day in the history of the Jewish people. When that, hit, when that temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., the saddest day in their, their whole history. The king at that time was King Jedekiah. And his eyes were plugged out in front of his children. And then he began that trip, that long trip in captivity, all the way back to Babylon. And God had told him that this was going to last for 70 years. 70 years they're going to be in captivity. God had promised them land. God wasn't going back on his promise. God would give them that land back after the 70 years they would get that land. So they're way in captivity. In Psalm 137, it says they missed their home so much that they call it Zion or Jerusalem. And that's what it was. Zion and Jerusalem, the same name, the city on the hill. That they missed this land so much, the Bible says. In Psalm 137, they said, uh, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. And their captives would taunt them and mock them and say, Sing us some of those songs of Zion. How great and mighty and beautiful that it was that now you're here and that's there and you can't go back. 
And so what it says, the, the Jews would say, if we ever forget Jerusalem, if we ever forget Jerusalem, maybe we you lose the strength in our right arm so we can't, we're helpless and defenseless. If we ever forget Jerusalem, may our tongues cling to the roof of our mouth so we can't sing our talk. If we ever forget Jerusalem. So they are in captivity. They're in captivity for 70 years. About 50 years into that captivity, remember, the Assyrian Empire is, was the world empire, and they were taken over by the Babylonian Empire. Well, now we have another empire. It's the Persian Empire overtakes the Babylonian Empire. Now they become the world empire, and their capital is Susa, which is right over here, just a little ways from Babylon, just east of Babylon, is Susa. So now they're the world empire, and they they're, have the power over the world. And so the king of Persia says to Zerubbabel, he says, you can go back. You can go back. And Zerubbabel will be the political leader when they go back. And he says, you can take 50,000 Jews with you, and you can go back, and you can rebuild the temple. So they go back. And the year that they go back is 538 B.C. You're getting these dates down. There's going to be a test. Now, 538 B.C., and they started building the temple. And after two years of building the foundation of the temple, they completed it. After two years, not the temple, just the foundation is which the temple is going to be built upon. And the Bible says in Ezra chapter 3 that there was this huge celebration. They were so excited that we completed the foundation of the temple. And they're excited and celebrating. But the Bible says that right after they built it, the work stopped. Stopped completely. No more building the temple. And you ask why? You want, Remember the Samaritans? The Samaritans are right here between the northern and southern kingdom. They did not like the Jews. They didn't want them to be strong. They didn't want that temple to be built. So they go to the king of Persia and write letters and say, don't allow them to do this, because the Jews are nothing but trouble. And they put pressure on the king of Persia. So he stopped the work. So he, he made a decree to stop the thing. So, so the people stopped the work. And so the people walked by this foundation Maybe they take their kids to school or take their kids for a walk. And every day they're walking by this foundation that it's not completed, this, this project that's not completed, and they look at it. Now they're seeing weeds grow up around it. By this time, trees are growing up around it, what they see. And the kids are maybe saying to their mom and dad, Dad, what, what happened here? What, what's going on here? Well, when we got back from Persia, we had this project to rebuild the temple. Why did you stop? Why did you stop? And maybe dad said, now's not the time. Now's not the time. And that's what they said, now's the time, not the time. For 16 years, 16 years, they said, now is not the time. And then God spoke to them through a prophet when God hasn't spoken to him for 70 years. And he said, finish the temple. Finish the temple. I've waited long enough. You made enough excuses. I've listened to excuses long enough. Finish the temple and get it done. So a book was written. 2,500 years ago to a group of people a long way from us for this specific task to re rebuild the temple. And you say to yourself, what, does the, what in the world does this have to do with us this morning? They live way over here. Buckle your seatbelts. God is going to share with this how this is very applicable and, and uh, relevant for our lives today. How we're going to be able to take principles to this. You're going to see many things are happening there. We may not be rebuilding a temple We've got God's work we have to do. We're going to see the difference and see how we can apply it to our lives. Uh, now, this introduction was an intentionally long to give you plenty of time to find the book of Haggai. <laughs> Did you find it? Yes, Nigel, you found it. It's the third to last book of the Old Testament. That's good. That's good. So God's people 
what we have to send, what, what we're going to learn from this book, what we're really going to learn is Book of Haggai. You've probably not been in the Book of Haggai very much. We're going to learn from this prophet is, is about priorities, about misplaced priorities that we have in our life. And this is very important, that God's people are blessed when they pursue God's priorities. Do you realize that? God's people are blessed when they pursue God's priorities. God's people are not blessed when they pursue their own priorities, when they do their own will, when they're carrying out what they want to do, or what they think that should happen. God's people are blessed when they pursue God's priorities. As we read this, we're going to be challenged to check our own lives in two different ways this morning. And it, like if I'm having a problem with my car, if I have a problem, you, you guys remember the time when you had a problem with your car, you would lift up the hood of your car and you could actually go in there and you could do some work and maybe you'll fix it. You remember that? I mean, some of you are my age, you got to know that. So you were able to fix it. How many of you, let's be honest, how many of you have even opened up the hood of your car in a year? I would be like that. I got one of my cars, I mean, looked at the, under it in a year. But if you have a problem with your car, you take it to your mechanic, to the dealership, wherever you take it to, and maybe you call them up and say, man, I've gotten a problem with my car. What's happening? There's a noise. Okay, bring it in. Bring it in. And say there's this noise that is happening in my car, and I don't want it. Something's not right, though. Something's not right. And don't you know when you take it to the mechanic, it stops making that noise? If you found that out, you, it's no longer having that problem, and the mechanic kind of looks at you kind of funny. I don't hear anything. Well, there's a noise. There's something not right with the car. And please, could you just hook it up to one of your machines, to one of your diagnostic machines, and hook it up and just get the read up? Because something is not right, and it needs to be fixed. And that's what God is saying to us. He's saying, do the diagnostic work because something is not right here. Something's just not right. And I waited 16 years for you to figure it out, and you haven't fixed it. You do it with God's help, and God's going to help us. So if you have your outline, if you don't, there's one right outside the center doors at the ministry counter. I want to give you two areas to check regarding God's promises. And the first one he tells us is to check your heart. Check your heart. We review our heart. Are we pursuing God's priorities? Not ours, God's priorities. Let's begin reading Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, now, this is 520 B.C. This is the easiest book in the Bible to determine dates. The book of Haggai. It gives it right there. It's given to us. It's 520. The reason we know that, because King Darius began to reign at 522 B.C. And it tells us in his second year. So we know it's 520. Okay? It's very easy when you look at the history. Let's continue reading. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Jatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not come, yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word, Lord, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. These are the words repeated throughout the book of Haggai. Give careful thought to your ways. The English Standard Version says, consider your ways. And that's kind of the, the series title, consider your ways. This is the challenge of Haggai. Give careful thought to your ways. Consider your ways is what he's saying to them. He's challenging them and he's challenging us. Let's read verse 6. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
I want you to notice a few things in this passage. First of all, the Bible identifies God here as the Lord Almighty. That's not a really a common expression for God, but it's a very a powerful expression, but it's not common. And as I'm reading throughout this book, I'm asking the question, why did God use that word? Why didn't he use God or, or Lord or Elohim or El? Why did he use the Lord Almighty? In some other translations, it's the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. Why did he use that? I think the answer to that question, because at that time, the world had empires. They had world empires at that time. And every one of those world empires had an emperor, had a king during that time. And, and Darius now is it in Persia. He's the king in Persia. And he's the ruler of the world. And so there's someone who's greater than the ruler of the world, right? The emperor of the world. It's the Lord Almighty, the Lord of armies. And so if there's a conflict between the Lord Almighty and the emperor of the world or the ruler of the world, you always go with the Lord Almighty, right? You always go with him, right? You're confident to go with him, right? You're sure about that. So the Lord Almighty is going to speak, and the world has to listen. That's what he's doing here. The Lord Almighty is going to speak, and the world, everyone in the world must listen to what he has to say. So he dresses two people here. He dresses first Zerubbabel, the political leader, and Joshua. Not the Joshua with Moses in the book of Joshua. This is a different Joshua, but Joshua, the religious leader, he's the high priest. At that particular time, these were kind of melted together. What was called in the land of Israel, what we have is the theocratic monarchy. A theocratic monarchy. We do not have that today. There are some people who erroneously look to the United States, the present day counterpart of ancient Israel. We are not that. No nation is. No nation is. There was one nation that was the chosen nation of God. That was Israel. And God promised them land. Remember, there's only one nation. It was the promised nation of God. It was Israel. And he promised them land. And he says to them, you say the time has not yet come. And you've said that now for 16 years, you have said this. And he asked a question that's pretty probing. He said, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains in ruins? Is it the time? 50,000 people came from Persia on this mission to do one thing. The one thing they came to do was to rebuild the temple. That's why they came there, to rebuild the temple. And they got, they got started, but they got sidetracked. They got busy. For 16 years, they did other things, and they kept busy. And I thought about myself. What could be the excuses that they give to God? What could they possibly give to God? And I started writing them down, and I think the first excuse they could give, well, the decree forbids it from Persia. And that they might have said, we can't do it because the decree from Persia forbids us from building it. Technically, technically, that's not going to work because the decree forbid them from fortifying the city, not from rebuilding the temple. They could rebuild the temple. When God tells us to do something and the ruler and authority of the world tells us to do something else, we have to make a choice, right? Just like the apostles did in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, and Acts chapter 5, where they told the religious leaders at the time that we have to wait, obey God rather than man. So that excuse is not going to work, right? We have to obey God. We have to obey God. I think the second possible excuse that they gave is we don't have the money. We don't have the resources. That we moved here, and we went on this thousand-mile trip, and we unloaded our trucks, and, you know, we, we had to build our own houses because we have children. We couldn't put them in tents, so we had to build these houses. 
And keep in mind the scripture says this, that God says in verse 4, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? That word panel takes me back centuries earlier where David said something to a prophet named Nathan. And David said, is it right that I should live as a king of Israel in a paneled house? Or a palace made of cedar, you see in the NIV. A palace made of cedar. God lives in a tent, that tabernacle. It's not right. It's not right. So we understand the insight that David gives us when he says, talk about panel, or palace made of cedar, that these were royal palaces. It was a royal upgrade, what they had. It wasn't just a normal house. They had a palace, something like David. They, they put stuff in like David did. So it was a royal upgrade. So these people couldn't say that we're building our houses God said, you've already built your houses, and by the way, it's an upgrade. You've done a lot of work on it. It's more than nice, more than, more than what you need. And you've kept busy in those houses. And, and, and every night, you, you're at home doing your own thing in those houses is what he's saying. You're doing your own thing. And every day, you walk by my house, and it's in ruins. Rebuild the temple. Get it done. Finish the temple is what he says to him. And then he posts a question for them, which is very good for us. Give careful thought to your ways or consider your ways, which he's saying is this, have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered why you planted much, but have harvested little? He asked him, have you ever wondered why you eat, but you're never really satisfied? Have you ever wondered when you drank, but you're still thirsty? Have you ever wondered why you work so hard and you make some money and it's like you have holes in your pocket, you wonder where it all goes? Have you ever wondered you work so hard and you achieve some success, but you're never satisfied? You're never happy with what you have. You never are. Or, or have you ever think that yourself, there's got to be more than this in life. Does that resonate with you? Do you know people who think like that? He says, give careful thought to your ways. Consider your ways. Have you ever wondered why this is happening in your life is what he's asking them. He's asking them this. Their third possible excuse I could see is that they think that it never will be the same. They never will be the same. Some of these people had seen the original temple that Solomon took 46 years to build, and it was amazing. It was beautiful, and it was amazing. And people would come around all over the known world at that time, and they would come, rulers would come, and this would be their destination to see the temple of God and the glory of it as it reflected the glory of God, to come and see this. And I can imagine some of the people thinking at that time, oh, you know, we've, we built the foundation. And maybe the kids say, God, why don't, Dad, why don't we just finish it? Why don't we just finish the temple? Oh, we could do that, but it doesn't really matter because it's really never going to be like the temple we once had. It can't be like that. It will never be the same. All that marble, all that cedar from Lebanon, all that gold, all that silver, it was incredible. We just don't have the resources like we once had. We can't do that anymore. Do you know people who are like that? That people think like that? I know people who'd rather live in the memories of the past than the challenges that God has for us today. Or the challenges that God, that, uh, the challenge that we have in our own lives today. They want to stay there in the past. I think, oh, it was so much better back then. We don't even, why even try? It's never going to be the same. We can't do this. Let's just stay back there. And they say the good old days are back there. And it's never going to be any better than those good old days because they remember them so fond and so wonderful. So they never, ever move. They just stay there. Now, these are excuses that people give, but I don't believe they're the real excuses. You know that? I, I, let me perhaps tell you the real reason that people don't move forward, that people uh, stay in the past and, and they don't accomplish God's mission. And the past, maybe the real reason for these people, I think it's really the first reason is apathy. 
his spiritual apathy. They just didn't care. They were doing their own thing, and they liked doing their own thing. And God's agenda was no longer their agenda. It, you know, the reason for moving 18 years earlier somehow got lost, got out lost. And I think sometimes Christians, they come, we come and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we're, we're called to be on mission, and we're to grow, to be like him. And somewhere along the way, it got lost. We stopped going to church. We stopped reading our Bible. We stopped, we start studying. We stopped praying. We stopped doing all those kind of things. I think another reason is materialism. They got there and they began open up their shop. They began open up their businesses, maybe as a silversmith, goldsmith, a cobbler, a baker. They worked hard, but they were making really good money. And it kept them occupied, preoccupied with, with their occupation, preoccupied with what they were doing and all their projects they were doing. A third possible reason is misplaced priorities. They came at one time, they had that pioneer spirit. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I love God. I want to do this. I want to do this work for God. I want to obey him. But somehow they lost that pioneer spirit. Somehow they lost it. Their priorities have changed. And no longer are they, you know, the, the thing about these people, and the thing about sometimes Christians with us, is those people actually probably thought they were on fire for God. And somewhere they had misplaced priorities. 16 years has passed, and sometimes that can happen to us, where our priorities have changed. And maybe we don't even realize it, that our priorities have changed. And God says, first of all, check your priorities. Check your heart is what he's saying to us. Check your heart. Are God's priorities your priorities? Are you doing your own thing? You're saying they're God's priorities, and they're really not. Are God's priorities your priorities? Review your actions. Are you obeying God's will? I mean, his true will. Not what you think his will is, but what God's will is. God gives us commands of what he wants us to do to be on mission for him. And I'll share those in a, in a little while. But are we really doing those things? The first thing he says is check your heart. The second thing he says, you have, you have, you have outline. He says check your ways. Check your ways. To, or check your habits. How you do things. To check them. Let's read verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says it again. Give careful thought to your ways. Consider your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew, it, blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. When we read that, you go, wow. God says, consider your hearts, from, uh, from misplaced priorities. Now he says, consider your ways. And he's reminding them of the commandment that he gave in the book of Ezra 18 years earlier. He gave this command, and it was a very simple command. He says, go up to the mountains, cut the trees, come back down, rebuild the temple. That's what he told them. Very simple, very simple. It's easy that. They started and they stopped. 16 years had passed, and they're no longer a building. And God repeats the same command to them. It doesn't change the command. Same command as he gave them in the book of Ezra. So we need to check our ways. We need to ask God, is there anything in our lives where you and I are disobedient before God? 
That may go back weeks, may go back months, may go back years, may go back 16 years or decades where we've been disobedient. See, we never have to stop and pray what God has commanded, do we? We never have to stop and pray what God has commanded. We go, well, let me pray and see if we should do it. No, we're just obey it. That's what God wants. We're just obey. It's like when we talk of baptism. You hear me bring that up? Because this is one that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior, you've been commanded to be baptized. We don't have to pray about that. We don't, we don't have to pray about it. So it shouldn't say, now is not the time. We shouldn't say that. Now is not the time. Because God will say, wait a minute. You've got time for everything else, don't you? Why don't you have time to be obedient to me? We can say that about so many things. We say, now's not the time to be baptized if we haven't been baptized. Now's not the time to share my faith with someone else. Now's not the time. They won't accept it. You got time for everything else. Now's not the time to serve God. Now's not the time to, to give my tithe. Now's not the time. And God said, you've got time for everything else. What about serving me? What about being obedient to me? What is amazingly and startling here, this helps us to understand who God is and what he's like. And how much that he really loves us is what he's sharing here. Again, he says, have you ever thought, have you ever thought, he says, what, when you bring your stuff home from a week of work, have you ever thought you have all that stuff? And God says this, he says, I blow on it and it's gone. That's what he says to us. Says, have you ever thought about it? You bring your stuff home and you wonder where it went because God says, I'm the one that blew on it and now it's gone. He said, have you ever thought why the dew's not coming the way it should? Have you ever thought about it? Or the rain isn't coming and you prayed for it. The early rains and the latter rains, the early rains to make the seed germinate, and the latter rains to make it multiply. Have you ever thought you prayed about it and it hasn't happened? It hasn't happened at all. And, and you and I know what that's like. When you're praying, you're praying, it seems like your prayers aren't going anywhere. They seem like they're just hitting the ceiling and it's not going anywhere. And what God is saying, it is God who stops the harvest. It is God who shuts the rain off. It's God who does that. And you, you say, why would God do that? Why would he do those things? Doesn't God want us to have full barns and silos? Doesn't he want us to have a big harvest? Do, doesn't God want us to have bank accounts that are full? Doesn't he want that? Is there anything wrong with that? By the way, is there anything wrong with that? You awake? Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. God wants us to have a big harvest. God wants us to have bank accounts that are full. He wants us to have those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But what he's saying to them and he's saying to us, but there's something more important than that. There's something more important. And that's what God is saying. And he's telling him, why aren't you obeying me? Why don't you obey me is what he's saying. You need to obey me. That's what he's saying to them. So loving God, would rather see us in any condition than to see you and I in sin. A loving God who wants to draw us back to himself. A loving God who wants us to obey him. And he's telling him to build my house. I want you to be busy doing my work. He says, not your work. My work is priority. I want you to do that. And he gives them two reasons. He gives them two reasons in scripture why he wants them to do it. The first one, he says that I might be pleased. I might take pleasure in it. And that's all we need. We don't need a second reason, do we? That we might please God. He said, I might take, be pleased with your obedience. The second reason he gave, he says that I might be honored and, and glorified with what you're doing. He wants to receive honor and glory, not so much with the building, but honor and glory through their obedience to him. And that's what he wants. Now, when I, when I read this passage and I read the book of Haggai, I'm convicted. It's hard. It's difficult because it goes against sometimes my own priorities. 
And I look at this and, boy, this is what God is asking us to do because I have things that I'm doing and maybe they're not in line with the priorities of God. Just because we're doing it, we think it's a good thing and it may not be a bad thing, doesn't mean it's God's priorities for you. And so I began to think about this and, and I made up a list real quickly, just some things for, I'm reading these, that you silently to check your heart and check your ways. Let me ask you some questions. What would disturb you more? A scratch on your car or a person dying without Christ? What would disturb you more? Missing an episode of your favorite show on television or missing a prayer meeting at church? What would disturb you more? Missing a worship service or missing a day of work? What would disturb you more? Misplacing your cell phone or misplacing your Bible? What would disturb you more? Your church not growing or your garden not growing? What would disturb you more? Getting caught for speeding or disobeying one of God's laws? What would disturb you more? Not pleasing your boss or not pleasing God? Think about that. Sometimes we get so upset at so many things, but the things and priorities of God, we don't get upset about those. We think, oh, it's, it's, it's an option. It's not an option. When God interrupted our lives by his grace, and it was by his grace that he interrupted our lives, he called us to himself and he says, I'm your God, and I want you to be my son or my daughter, and I, I love you so much that I sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, and I want you to accept him. When you accept that gift, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will be a, a disciple of mine, and I want you to follow me, and I want you to bring glory to me, and I want you to please me with your life. That's what God says. I want you to bring glory to me, and I want you to please, you, please me with your life. But you are to be on mission. You're to be on mission for me, and the mission is simple. Just as I draw you to myself, I want to draw other people to me, and I want to use you to do that. So he gives us the commission in Matthew 28. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you is what he says. And then he says, go do it to somebody else, then somebody else, and then somebody else. That's our mission. That's our mission from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. That's what we've been called. That's our number one priority. Do you realize that when you be, become a follower of Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus said, that's your mission. That is your priority. Everything else is secondary. But somewhere along the line, for a lot of us believers, we hear that and we hear that. We got busy. We got busy with our own lives. We got busy with our own stuff, doing other things. Maybe it was our careers. Maybe it was with our homes. Maybe it was with our families. We're so busy doing so many things with our families, taking them here, doing this and doing that, that we just got lost. We misplaced our priorities. We're building other things. We're not building the kingdom of God. We're not building God's priorities, doing God's king, building his kingdom and doing his priorities. Maybe somewhere along the way, you said to yourself, now's not the time. But someday, someday, God, I, I want to serve you. I really do because I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I really love you, God. And I really want to serve you. But now's not the time. And we get in that cycle. Believe me, I talk to people all the time. And they get in this cycle and they say, now's not the time. When I get married, oh, I'm going to start serving God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do all these things. Then they get married. Oh, wait, once we have children, then I'm going to go because I want my children in church. But they say, now's not the time. When they get in elementary, then I'll have time. 
But then they say, now's not the time. Then they get them to middle school. And, and then they still say, now's not the time. When they get to high school, they're going to have their own lives and I'll be able to do it. Now's not the time. And that's all they say. And God is saying like he did to the children of Israel. He says, for 16 years, I've waited for you. And he's saying to us many times, you know how many years I've waited for you? And you keep telling me now is not the time. And Haggai is challenging us. And he's saying, do the diagnostic work. Do the work. We've got our excuses. But what are the real reasons? What are the real reasons that we're not serving God? What are the real reasons we're not on mission? Is it spiritual apathy? Is it those kind of things that's going on in our lives? Let's commit to change what we have to do. Let's bring ultimate glory to God by being on mission for him and being on mission with his priorities, not our own. This week, can I challenge you to do the diagnostic work and first of all, to look at your heart and say, God, check my heart. Is my heart right as it relates to your priorities that we went over? And second, God, check my ways. Or the in my life, where I'm disobedient to you and maybe got a whisper in your ear, maybe through the scriptures or maybe the Holy Spirit to speak to your life. Maybe it's about baptism. You said now is not the time and God said get it done. Maybe it's about being in a Bible study. And we say now is not the time and God said yes it is, now is the time. Maybe it's about serving. Maybe it's about sharing Christ with someone. We keep saying now is not the time and God says yes, yes it is. Maybe it's about our finances where God says we keep saying now is not the time to give to God and God said yes. Now's the time. Why aren't you obedient to me to give your tithe to me? We keep saying that. And God is telling us, he says, to do the diagnostic work and check your heart and check your ways. Will you do that this week? Will you do that? If you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to understand that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus from heaven. And he came from heaven, from all of his glory, and came down on this earth and ultimately went to the cross. And he took all your sins and my sins, the sins of the whole world, and they were placed upon Jesus. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you and I might be reconciled to God. So you and I can have our, our sins forgiven and have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And all you have to do is come to, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I put my faith and trust in Jesus that he died for me. That you would do that. Put your faith and trust in him. For all of you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior, say, how do I know I'm still on mission for God? And I haven't been sidetracked. Because if I asked everyone, if I asked all of us, we'd all, oh, I'm on fire for God, but are we? Or is it just lip service? Are we truly on mission for God? Are we truly living for him? Let me ask you, are you growing in Christ? Are you reading your Bibles? Are you praying? That's the first place. And if you don't, Jesus, have you been baptized? That's the first step of obedience. Are you serving him? Are you sharing? Are you giving your tithe? Those are just some of the steps. They're not options. Do you realize that? Those are not things we have to pray about. Those are what God has commanded us to do. Those are just a few. If you don't have those, if you're saying, well, I'm not doing those, or not just one or two, we should be doing all those, then you're just, it's just words where I'm saying, I'm really on fire for Jesus. I'm really on mission for God. When the Bible speaks different. And that's what he's saying to them. Most of those people, I'm sure, would have said, I'm on fire for God. I'm on mission. But God said, no, you're not. For 16 years, I've waited to be on fire for me. For 16 years, I've waited for you to be on mission about my priorities. So this week, do the diagnostic work. Ask God to check your heart and check your ways. Remember, God's people are blessed when they pursue God's priorities. Not their own, not doing their own thing. Not saying I'm living for Jesus, but they're doing their own thing. That doesn't work. 
We have to pursue his priorities. So do the, I challenge you this week just to spend some time with God and say, God, check my heart, check my ways. Am I really living for you? And if I'm not, just confess it and start doing these things. That's what God wants us, to obey him. He says, why aren't you obeying me? Obey me, obey me. And he, then he, remember he says, give careful thought to your ways. Consider your ways. Let's pray. Lord, he come and we praise you. We praise you because, God, you are good. And, God, you don't write this to us to rebuke us. You write this to encourage us, to help us to see the error of our ways if we're not walking right with you, to help us see, Lord, if we're not living the life that you've called us to live. They might consider our ways or give careful thought to our ways. They might look at our own lives, Lord, and say, Do I, have I ever wondered why the things are going this way in my life? They're not working the way that I hope them to work. And maybe because we're doing our own thing, our own projects, living our life apart from God. When we think, we think for somehow that we're living for God and we've really forgotten about him. Or we're living our own priorities. We're asking God to bless what we're doing. God, I pray today that you would help us to see the error of our ways. Lord, I pray that you would help us to change that and and to really, Lord, to come before you and, and do the diagnostic work with your help. Did you help us consider our heart and consider our ways to show if there's any way that we're, we're going the wrong way? Reveal it to us by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Whisper in our ears. Through some way, Lord, we might understand it. And Lord, help us to straighten out our path so we might be following you and living for you, Jesus. That, Lord, we really it wouldn't just be lip service, but our hearts and our ways would really be committed to you. That when people look at us, they know that we're living for God. They can tell it by our, by our life. It's just not words. So, Lord, I ask that you would examine each one of our hearts and minds. Lord, to... to Convict us if we're not and affirm if we are. And Lord, but help us, help us, Lord, to take that step. Be bold to take that step to really live for you so we can bring you glory with our hearts and with our ways. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. Lord, help us to make that stand today. Help us, Lord, no matter where we are in our life. Today, Lord, is a different day. We can confess if we haven't been living that right way, but today, Lord, we can start to live the way with you. We might make that stand with you today, confess our sins and, and live for you. Lord, we praise you and thank you, Lord. We thank you so much for the word of God that convicts us, to affirm us, to encourage us. The Lord, that even though this was written 2,500 years ago, it's still really relevant for us today. We praise you and thank you so much from the book of Haggai. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.